Hello, welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Vicky Brackett and I'm in the hot seat this week as we talk about Brexit and the impact on trade and supply chains. To do that, I am delighted to be joined by my fellow colleague Bruce McMillan, who is our General Counsel at Erwin Mitchell and our Brexit Specialist, and also Andrew Baxter, the Managing Director of Europa Worldwide Group. He's going to hopefully enlighten us on his new concept for Brexit on frictionless movement of goods. So we're interested to hear all about that. But before we get into the main reason why we're all here today, I've just got a couple of things. Andrew, what's the one thing you're looking forward to the most in 2021? Well, sorry to be so boring, but I'm looking forward to Brexit finally being done. Um, and, you know, the fact that we can move forwards without continuously talking about what will happen when Brexit happens, uh, because four and a half years later, it's becoming a bit tiring. So getting it behind us is the main thing that I'm looking forward to. And it's brilliant to have, you know, to, to be there. I'm sure there are loads of bumps in the road, but to have gone beyond that 31st of December deadline, I think is great. Bruce, what about you? Very similar, really. I think the uh, my key aim and hope for the year is that we get increasing stability, particularly in the second half of the year, both in terms of COVID and also particularly Brexit, so we can just start to push our planning horizons out with more confidence and get on with running things more efficiently. Yeah, it did really feel like December was the perfect storm, didn't it, with COVID and Brexit negotiations going right up to the wire. And just looking back, the best thing out of 2020, I mean, a really challenging year, both from a business and a personal perspective. Andrew, what, what, what was your highlight? Maybe? I think the thing I enjoyed most was spending lockdown, the first lockdown with all my family at home. Um, I thought it was quite nice, actually. Lots of people complained about lockdown. I, to be honest, I had quite a nice little time. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I became a teacher, a teacher for a few months as well, which was which was interesting. I'm not sure my children learned anything, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> Bruce, what about you? What was the 2020 highlight for you? Well, I, I think I'll, I'll cheat slightly. The home one was uh, my cat becoming an intranet star with our firm because it's inability to avoid being in the camera whenever I was on a web to web call. And on a, a more personal level, more generally, I think probably it was seeing how our firm pulled together to deal with everything. I think that's great, and I think we, you know, we did. Um, I mean, we have emerged out of 2020 I think feeling strong as businesses and Andrew I know your business has absolutely come out in a very strong position ready to face those post-Brexit challenges so let's move into the topic that we're all here to talk about today Brexit has been on the agenda for many years Andrew I think you said you mentioned four and a half years I can't believe it's been that long and through that period there's been a huge amount of uncertainty and unknowns particularly for businesses and as negotiations went back and forth through 2020, I think we all started to really believe that we had to prepare for a no-deal Brexit. And we started to see the government pushing that agenda through adverts on the television more and more. They did manage to do a deal at the 12th hour, but I don't think that kind of gets us out of the woods. There's still huge amounts to do in terms of implementation and interpretation of what that actually means. So I think certainly for January and probably well beyond that, there's going to be more and more disruption. And I think the businesses like Europa that have actually really thought about this and made products that are going to see them through are going to be in a very strong position as we go through the coming months. We're going to pick up on that today, as I say, with Andrew and with Bruce, and we'll just move, I think, into some questions. So, Bruce, if I could come to you first as our Brexit specialist, Owen Mitchell, can you just talk to us about some of the main challenges that the supply chain and logistics sector have been dealing with from your perspective? 
Thank you, Vicky. Well, what we've seen both in terms of uh, the logistics that affect us as a, an entity and also uh, with our client base is the fact that uh, for a long time, there's been a relatively high level of ability to plan for things. There's been a fairly high level of stability in, in the big picture in terms of supply chain efficiencies of operation and so on. And largely things have run in a similar but evolving way for a long period of time. Now, over a very short period, as Andrew touched on a few minutes ago, there's a huge degree more complexity, a huge degree more ambiguity. For many people, a significant degree more cost in terms of operations, tariffs and administration. And mostly a lack of certainty, uh, as we've seen throughout the period up to the end of uh, 2020. And this is tied into the need to find contractual adjustments to get things repriced, to get service levels adjusted, to look at how lean, often long-established standing contracts and processes uh, have to be changed to take account of the new environments. And also taking in account of impacts at the other end of the stream on invoicing, sales taxes, tariff processes, and the collection enforcement of debt. So an awful lot of things which have been honed and stabilized for organizations for a long time uh, are now um, having to be reset in a number of different ways with a great deal of lack of clarity, as Andrew touched on earlier, right up until the, the final hour and beyond. Great. Thank, thanks, Bruce. And I think that disruption, I mean, we've certainly felt it and we only kind of pass professional services across borders. Andrew, 75% of your Opus distribution of goods is between the UK and Europe. How did you prepare your business to deal with Brexit and the new processes that have been put in place? We've, we've spent a huge amount of time preparing for Brexit. As you say, you know, a, a very high proportion of our business is UK, EU business. So for us, the idea of not being ready for Brexit is not really an option. You know, if we couldn't serve our customers, um, we would have a you know very big problem very quickly. So, um, you know, from the outset, we have taken action to make sure that we have been ready for Brexit on all of the um, the, the the false starts that we had um, in uh, 2019, um, and to make ourselves ready for uh, the sort of final Brexit event now. Um, so, through that period, I suppose certainly in the last two, two and a half years, we've been operating with um, weekly, all-day Brexit meetings with about 10 people in, in that meeting, and then work streams that go from that meeting. Um, a, a huge amount of work, tens of thousands of um, you know senior management hours uh, have gone into um, you know the preparation for Brexit, and it, it has been all absorbing basically. Um, we have um, set up um, customs agencies in Belgium and France. Uh, that was also a very complex uh, thing to do. It's very bureaucratic setting up um, customs agencies, uh, but eventually we got all that done. Um, so <clears throat> we, we've done a, a load of stuff. Um, we, we've developed a lot of IT. IT is um, absolutely fundamental to taking away the administrative burden and making things flow as, as well as possible. Um, we've made investments in our hub facility to expand the hub um, in case we have goods on hold um, waiting uh, customs clearance. Um, we um, have, have made huge amounts of investments. We've probably invested £5 million in, in Brexit preparations in total. Um, we now have, um, I must be approaching 70 additional people um, in situ in order to handle um, Brexit. So it, it's, it's been a, a huge thing in, in, in our business. The, the, the biggest single thing that we've done is we've developed um, a customs product called Europa Flow. And um, what that seeks to do is, is to preserve 
the same flow of goods that we have today, um, but outside of the customs union. Um, so the, the basic premise of that, um, that product is that delays post leaving the customs union um, will come from the fact that importers need to pay VAT and duty prior to the delivery of goods. So actually, you know, doing customs entries is an administrative task and a burden and, and so on and so forth. But it doesn't, you know, essentially there's no reason why that should delay the movement of goods, providing you're properly organized. Um, it, it, it is the fact that when goods get to their destination and the importer needs to now pay import VAT and duty prior to the goods getting delivered, that is the thing that is likely to cause um, delays and frustration. I don't know if any of you have ever ordered something over the internet that comes from America and um, you, you get a notification from a parcel carrier saying, well, you owe us you know, £12.50 because you owe us this much VAT and this much duty and then you've got to make the payment for that and then they will deliver the goods to you. And it's exactly that, that same thing. And, and one, of course, it's irritating because you're having to pay money which weren't necessarily expecting to pay, but also it's irritating because the goods are being delayed whilst all this process happens. Um, so our product effectively is designed to remove those delays. Um, and, and the way it does that is um, we use um, an established process called Regime 42, which means that if you import something into the EU, into a country other than the end destination country, you can zero rate the VAT. So, of course, pretty much everything that we do goes via France. Um, and um, so, and, and I don't know, 80% of it doesn't go to France. So all of that... We will clear it into France and, and then deliver it in a country outside of France. And, and uh, what that allows us to do is zero rate the VAT, which removes that, that element. Um, and then secondly, what we do is we bill back the duty and the customs fees back to the, the shipper. Um, and uh, that means we have no requirement to contact the importer prior to delivery. Um, then we put that together with something which is called a frontier declaration, which means that the uh, import clearances happen while the vessel crosses from, say, Dover to Calais, or it, while, while the train crosses from Folkestone to Calais, um, and the declaration happens while the, the goods crossing. So by the time the truck drives out the tunnel at the other end, uh, providing there are no physical inspections required by customs, then the goods are in free circulation and free to go and deliver um, as they do today. So, um, <clears throat> it, so it doesn't remove any physical inspections that happen, but we imagine that the actual number of physical inspections will be, you know, relatively low. You know, in Calais, there is an eight loading dock warehouse there to process those import inspections. And, uh, you know, there are 10,000 trucks a day crossing. So I don't know how many they're planning to inspect, but it can't be that many. So, um, it's, it's a, so that, that is the product that we've designed. In our, in our import, actually, the flow of goods, I, I think, is is very easy in the first six months. And um, I, I think we'll see very little disruption to supply chains. And, and that is because the government have put in place an e easement that means that you can deliver the goods and then a customs declaration has to happen in the, in, in the, the next six months. Um, and therefore, the reason for actually goods getting delayed coming inbound is, is very modest. Uh, after the 1st of July, that gets a bit more complicated, but hopefully everyone will be a bit, a bit better prepared by then. And um, I expect that after July, goods will continue to move pretty, pretty effectively. 
And are you concerned about disruption and other hauliers not being fully prepared? I would say the things that will cause disruption and delays are hauliers and freight forwarders not being properly prepared or not following the processes which have been set out by the UK or EU governments. Now, I don't believe that that will be anywhere near as material as people expect. Um, I've, you know, our industry is a pretty dynamic industry. Uh, nobody's really into the idea of trucks sitting around doing nothing, um, that there aren't the margins to do that. People, of course, will make mistakes in what they're doing. I'm sure, you know, even in my organization, we will make some mistakes that will cause some issue. But what we won't do is make the same mistake over and over again, day after day, week after week, month after month. That is not going to happen. If I suppose if you can compare it to needing a visa to go and travel to you know, a foreign country, if somebody tells you you need a visa, you might think that that is very annoying, irritating, a load of admin, um, and so on. But in the end, you'd have to be a pretty strange person to turn up at the airport without your visa on the basis that you're just going to see what happens. Uh, and even if you did, then you'd have to be an even stranger person to just sit there for days on end, hoping that the need for visas might disappear because it's not going to. Going to. So, you know, the reality is people will make mistakes and that will cause some disruption, but they won't repeatedly make the same mistakes. The idea that hauliers, a haulier is going to send a truck in into Dover on Monday have a load of issues, and then just send another truck in on Tuesday and another one on Wednesday and Thursday. Just keep loading those trucks into the port um, without any ability to get them through the port. That's not going to happen. Thanks, Andrew. So we're, we're relying, I think, there on businesses, you know, learning from their, their mistakes, which which must be right if their businesses are to survive. You know, I mean, you know, the number of man hours, the investment time and you know, the, the number of new people you've had to recruit to meet the new world. I'm just interested in your view. I mean, you've just talked about others potentially making mistakes and learning from those, uh, which I hope everyone will do if businesses are to survive. But some of the smaller businesses surely are, are just going to struggle to have kept up with this change. Do you see an opportunity for, for the group and for businesses like yours that have been proactive and kind of taking a competitive lead on this? Yeah, yes, I've always seen Brexit as a, you know, in some ways a threat to my business, uh, but in other ways, a great opportunity. Um, it, it's introducing a lot of complexity uh, into moving goods, which is not there today. Um, and um, I always thought that that, you know, that the people who did a really good job of that, um, you know, could really win from that scenario, um, and that, that there would be other people who didn't properly pay attention to it, and they would lose from that scenario. Um, I, I think. Brexit inherently is going to reduce the volume of goods moving between the UK and the EU. Um, and um, that obviously is not a good thing for my business. Um, so what we're seeking to do is to, to win market share to make sure that our volumes don't go down and hopefully that they that they go up over the course of the next year. Yeah, and I, and I hope they do. There's clearly been a huge amount of thought, thought gone into that. Bruce, just bringing you into the conversation with Andrew, just how Europa have prepared themselves, and that felt like a Herculean effort. Obviously, you and I have been involved in thinking about Owen Mitchell's position pre-Brexit and now post the, uh, the 1st of January. How have we been advising businesses that work with us on the deal with import and exports? What have been the key issues we've seen come up? Yeah, well, th thank you, Vicky. And I, I think it's um, 
listening to the scale of activity that Andrew and his colleagues have had to to work through the, t- the thousands of hours and the staff. We've had a microcosm of that because uh, our business is less directly exposed to uh, the Brexit trade component. But also we've been seeking to have the same thinking, which is an, a market in the UK, which inherently will be significantly tougher than it was before. What can we do to take opportunities out of this environment to grow our share of our markets by providing uh, Brexit advice and support and looking at the legislation and other change that will emerge from that as an opportunity to to gain share in, in a, a tighter and more difficult market. Our own processes started about two years ago uh, when we started setting up working groups, uh, our procurement side, our sales side, our people, our processes and governance and facilities, and then mapping out each of those areas and thinking about the direct impacts on those areas and the second order impacts. So the impact on a supplier to us of their suppliers the impact on our customers of their clients, and then trying to think about uh, what we can work out, what we can know and proactively monitor and respond to, so that as much as possible we're prepared on the the front foot for things, and where it's impossible to prepare because of lack of certainty about the external environment, know our internal environment as well as we can, and monitor the external environment actively so we can respond as quickly as possible. And then we kept a steering group on top of all this to make sure that we were not missing anything important and to troubleshoot issues and uh, escalate them where needed. Then try to understand what laws and regulations and contracts that you have uh, will be affected by this and the practical aspects of that as well, like taxes, forms, debt collections, the things that have just been touched on by by Andrew a few minutes ago. And then looking at how you can monitor and plan for those changes and generally thinking about the most changed scenario you can plan for because anything other than that will be easier uh, to resolve and to think about. If you plan for the worst, anything better than that uh, is a, a safer outcome, although obviously there's some cost in planning for something that might not happen, which I think has been an impact for us as well as for the whole economy. Thank you, Bruce. Um, that's that, that's really comprehensive. And I think scenario planning has been part of our language now for four and a half years. We've all tried to work out what all the various scenarios have been. And I think we're still doing a bit of that because, you know, yes, the deadline has been and gone and we are now in the new world. But I think the challenges still lie ahead and that uncertainty hasn't disappeared. And we're probably going to have to work with that for many months to come. And I quite liked Andrew's sort of position around that iterative, we'll make mistakes and we'll learn from them and we'll make mistakes and we'll learn from them. And I think businesses will be doing that for, for many months. Andrew, you know, you've talked a lot about preparation. What, what do you think the major challenges are for businesses, particularly, you know, for Europa or other businesses in the coming few months, the next, you know, the short term, what are the major challenges on your, your radar? Well, you know, I suppose it depends whether you're looking at freight businesses or whether you're looking at, you know, exporters and importers. Um, I think if you're talking about exporters and importers, exporters need to make sure that they get their documentation done correctly and in a you know at the right time to make sure that they their goods can move as they expect them to move. Um, and importers um, will need to react to import clearances and make sure that um, you know that I mean actually in in the UK because these things are deferred a, a lot of that pressure is removed but you know certainly after the first of July um, you know imports will need to be quick in responding to these issues otherwise their goods will get 
delayed. Um, I think for for um, transport and logistics companies, well, firstly, you you need to already be prepared. If you if you really haven't been prepared up to this point, I think you yeah, I'd start panicking if I were you. <laughs> um, but um, I'm sure that they are largely prepared. And yeah, there will be a pain barrier and a learning curve. You know, as you know, with with any areas that that happen, um, but. Um, it, it's it's a it's a big piece of operational change for for companies like that, um, and my experience of, of of doing big pieces of operational change in the past is whilst they are painful, whilst they might you know the first month might be horrible and it might take you three months to get on top of it. In the end, you know, you come back out the other side of that, and in the end, it is okay. It's just a, a pain threshold, and um, you know, you know, now at least we can start to get on with that and get that behind us. Thank you for that, Andrew. I think you know that that is interesting, and I think you're right that we we are going to have to be thinking and rethinking the way we approach this. But I also would agree with you that logistics companies that aren't prepared by now, they they are facing some serious some serious challenges. So let's hope there aren't many of those those out there. Um, <laughs> Doesn't sound like you're one of them. Sounds like you're way ahead, way ahead of all of the competition. Um, <laughs> no, we, we will see, won't we? <laughs> well, well, hopefully we will. I, I was I was just wondering about how you prioritise the impacts because the impacts, are, you know, they're wide ranging, aren't they? They 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 are, you know, and, and as you say, they're going to keep coming up. Things are going to pop up that we haven't expected and haven't planned for, and that's that's the world we're in at the moment until we do learn what the new world looks and feels like, and that will take many months and years. How do you go about, have you kept your, your sort of task force you were having weekly, look at the short the impacts and how to prioritise those and how to focus your management time and thinking about how you keep this proactively moving forward? I mean, we've always managed things like this through, um, you know, regular type of weekly meetings um, and um you know, we have a core team who are involved in the implementation of this project. Um, and, um, of, of course, um, you know, in, in this first one or two weeks, we, you know, we will even have daily conference calls to talk about what issues are, um, you know, cropping up. Um, and um, everybody knows their specific area. Everybody knows, uh, you know, they need to deal with the issues in their area as rapidly as possible and make sure that any issues we have are closed down very quickly and, and, and dealt with. So, yeah, we just need to be on the case very quickly to make sure that, that we deal with any issues as, as they occur. It sounds like you've got a really established practice and team that, that have done an exceptional job so long. May that continue? Yeah, we've spent so much time on it. I spend I would probably spend about 80% of my time working on Brexit. I don't know what yeah. I'm going to do with myself. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, th I think you'll be busy for the next certainly in the next year. I'd have thought. Well, we, we we work out what it all means for us and how we how we adapt. But yes, I, I think uh, business get back to some real business focus and not have to worry about it. I suspect. Okay, so probably a question sort of to round us off for both of you. Really, um, we're at the start of twenty twenty one. We've had the most disruptive twenty twenty, and then Brexit has happened on top of all of that. Just being positive at the end. What opportunities do you think Brexit can offer? Perhaps Bruce, do you want to go first? Certainly. Um, I think the key thing, as we've touched on earlier, is uh, there's going to be a lot of change, both uh, directly uh, on the European border and also indirectly within the UK internal market and with uh, non-EU countries because of the negotiation of other treaties there as well. So 
the key thing really, I think, is to take the opportunity out of change. Be proactive, spot things that are likely to change. And as with the Europe Europa Flow approach, uh, think ahead about how you can capitalise on that because the best way to deal with change is to tackle it head on and to seek the opportunities out of it rather than lingering over the things that are, are, are definitely changing for the worse. Focus on the things you can try and find opportunities out of. And it sounds like Andrew's done that and certainly within our own product range and services, we've sought to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, good advice, I think. Andrew, you, you've previously said, I think, um, openly that leaving the EU was absolutely the right outcome for the logistics sector. So clearly you see the opportunities. How would you describe those? I think my view has always been that the EU itself has some very serious problems. Um, and what we now need to do as a country is to embrace the global opportunities and global trading. And, you know, I would say for our customers, you know, the, the opportunities will come from, you know, free trade deals more broadly around the world. I think the UK will be much more effective than the EU at creating free trade deals. And, and I think that creates an opportunity to be a you know, great trading nation. And um, I, I think opportunities will definitely come from it on the plus side as well, but but without doubt, for me, that the, the the real benefit is unhooking ourselves from the problems that the EU faces. Thank you for that, Andrew. Obviously, it's really interesting to hear your global perspective, and it's clearly going to work for you as a business. And definitely facing the entire world rather than Europe is an opportunity that you can see. I think there are, of course, ranging views on whether being part of Europe is a good thing or a bad thing. I can understand the opportunities from your point of view. And in your world, being part of Europe has perhaps restricted you in ways not being part of Europe won't do. Thank you to both of you for being really, really comprehensive in some of the answers and in the conversations that we've had. I think a common theme amongst us all is that lack of certainty, which is definitely going to continue for now in the foreseeable future. There is a real need for businesses to look at new processes, new procedures, different service levels, challenges around pricing and the tariffs and custom charges. All of that is change and all of that will be disruption for many, many industries. Europa is clearly a business that has been proactive. It has faced that change and that disruption positively and proactively and thought ahead. Through its new thoughts about ways, we've helped other Owen Mitchell clients to do the same. And again, as a business, we've done the same ourselves. And just to end, it would be great to get one piece of advice from both of you that businesses should perhaps think about over the next 12 months. What would yours be, Bruce? For me, I, I think it, it, in a nutshell, it's um, that you should plan ahead, horizon scan, think laterally and be proactive. And Andrew? I think it's just about taking it, you know, very seriously until, you know, we've stable, stabilised a new to a new situation and that everybody's comfortable that everything is flowing in the way that we want it to, to flow. Um, it's about, you know, real attention to detail, um, just, you know, really being very careful to make sure that you don't make mistakes. There's lots of um, opportunities for, for, for things to go wrong. Um, and, um, you, you know, the, the important thing is to treat it seriously and pay attention. Um, and if you do that, then I think you can make your way through this in a perfectly okay yeah, and I, th I think you're right. And that, that sort of minimization of, of, of mistakes. And then, as you said, I think earlier in the conversation, learning from those and making sure they don't happen again um, is something we all need to do in the coming, coming months. So thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you, Bruce. It's been really interesting to listen and have a conversation with you both. That is it for today. Thank you very much for listening to the Owen Mitchell podcast. If you do find it interesting, then please do join us for our next episode. In the meantime, please stay safe.